This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Please enjoy the following pre-recorded Encore presentation of Equipped with Chris Brooks. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I'm so grateful that you joined us today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And with that, I welcome you into what will be a very interactive edition of Equip. Today is a day where I want to hear from you as we take up one of the biggest questions I think the Christian lives with. And that is, what do I do when I don't desire God? The phone number is 877-LIVE-675, 877-548-3675. Maybe you've been in that season. Now, the person whose heart that I, I really and truly want to speak to, not just today, but throughout this entire month, is a person who takes loving God seriously, who uh, has heard and embraced the good news of God's grace. It is uh, uh, one of the things that has been the highest and greatest passion of your life. And you can remember uh, seasons when your pursuit of God, your joy in Jesus was uh, was really high. Uh, but you're living in a moment maybe where the fight for joy, the joy of the Lord, joy in Jesus has become a true and a real and a tangible struggle. What um, writers of old would often refer to as the dark night of the soul. Maybe you have been there. I certainly know what that feeling is like. We often uh, refer to uh, the great commandment of Scripture that we are commanded uh, that we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Um, but what does that mean? Are we really obligated to enjoy God above all things, uh, to have our emotions enlivened by that reality? And, and if that's the case, what do we do when we don't, when we don't desire God? We're going to talk about that. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about this all month long because I've heard from so many of you that um, are living with this reality or maybe ministering to someone who has uh, lost the joy of the Lord and uh, struggling to uh, maintain joy in Jesus. We want to talk about this all month long, and uh, I'm so grateful to be holding in my hand our uh, resource of the month. Every month, as you know, we pick a resource to feature, to direct you to, uh, a resource that I wish I could airdrop across all of America, uh, but I can't do that to every home, but but a resource we can make available for those of you who call in, support the program, who partner with us at 888-644-4144. But this month, I'm holding in my hand Dr. John Piper's book, it's the 10th anniversary edition of a book he wrote called When I Don't Desire God, How to Fight 
for joy. Joining me now is Dr. John Piper. Many of you know his uh, ministry of teaching and declaring God's word, his passion for Jesus, his desire for God. Uh, John Piper is the founder and lead teacher of Desiring God. He's also the uh, chancellor of Bethlehem College and Seminary. He served for 33 faithful years as the pastor for preaching and vision at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's the author of more than 50 books, including Desiring God and the book that I hold in my hand, When I Don't Desire God. Dr. Piper is my guest today. Hey, Dr. Piper, how are you, sir? Well, I'm I'm a lot better listening to you. (laughs) 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 I love the way you begin this this show about quoting the command to rejoice in the Lord. So thank you so much for having me. Well, there's so much that I want to cover, and it's impossible in a short interview like this to plummet the depths of all the truth that is in this book. But I do want to start with a, a, a term that you often describe yourself with, and that is a Christian hedonist. Now, for those who are not familiar with that term, can you explain what Christian hedonism is and also why it's essential? Well, for those who might be listening in Canada, they pronounce it hedonist. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, right. but yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, it's, we Americans, we say hedonist, and that's right. And it's a pretty uh, a controversial word because most people think of hedonism in a negative way, namely uh, my, my old uh, college dictionary, Webster's Collegiate, uh, defined hedonism as um, a life devoted to the pursuit of pleasure. And uh, that's the definition I'm happy to embrace. And when I put Christian in the front of it, uh, I mean to transform the way we go about that. So Christian hedonism is not uh, the assertion that all men seek happiness, though I believe that's true. I think Pascal was right when he said, uh, all men seek happiness, even those who commit suicide, because they are at least trying to minimize pain, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody commits suicide to maximize their pain. They, they yes. are in such misery psychologically that they think, mistakenly, I think, that if they could just get out of this life, at least the pain would be less. So I don't think even... Suicide contradicts the fact that all people are motivated by the desire to be happy. That's not what I mean by Christian hedonism. What Christian hedonism says is we ought to and we must seek our greatest and longest happiness. So greatest and longest. I choose those two words really carefully because of Psalm 1611 where uh, the psalmist says, in your presence, God, is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So fullness means great and forevermore yes. means forever. And if, if somebody were to promise me, okay, Piper, I'll give you uh, 800 years of ecstasy. Would you take that? I said, no, thank you. I've got something better. <laughs> I have 800 million ages of years of ever-increasing happiness at 
the right hand of the infinite, overflowing, inexhaustible, Vesuvius of joy called God and yes. all that he is for me in Jesus. So I, what, 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 all that Christian hedonism adds to that observation that God is our ultimate, all-satisfying treasure is you really ought to pursue that. I mean, that's a duty. And here's the basic reason why it's a duty. I mean, I think I've got 13 reasons or something in Desiring God for why, yes. why you should do it. But, but the, the ultimate reason is, I think virtually all Christians agree that uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, the verse my mother put at the end of every letter to me when she wrote me in college, is, Johnny, uh, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So yes. I knew growing up, I'm supposed to live to make God look glorious. That's what life is for. And my argument in in my books, almost all of them, <laughs> is to say that we can't do that if we don't delight in God. Yes. Not to delight in God is to fail to glorify him as we ought. So the ultimate reason for why we should pursue our fullest and lasting pleasure in God is that he gets glory. And let me give you one illustration. I mean, I could go to the Bible, like Philippians 1.20 and following, and give a, an exegetical argument for that point. But w what I have found over the years is that this, il this little illustration that'll take me one minute to tell— um, really causes people to wake up. So suppose it's my anniversary. I'm going to surprise my wife. I ring the doorbell, which I never do, right? So she's going to be surprised. I ring the doorbell. Mm. I want to take her out tonight. I've got, what, 40 red roses behind my back or 20 or we've been married 54 years. So it might be 54. <laughs> and and, and she ring, I ring the doorbell. She opens the door and she's surprised and and uh, and I pull out the the uh, flowers and I say, "Happy anniversary, Noel." And she puts her hands over her mouth and says, "Oh, Johnny, why did you? That's so beautiful." And I say, "Well, it's my duty. This is what you're supposed to do if you're a good husband. Do your duty. Give your wife flowers." And would she be happy with that response? It's my duty. Yeah. What's wrong with duty? Nothing is wrong with duty. It's just not the right thing to say. Well, what should I say? Okay, re rewind the tape. I ring the doorbell. She says, oh, Johnny, why did you? And I say, Noel, nothing makes me happier than to get you flowers. Why don't you go change clothes? Because I've got an evening plan because nothing will make me happier than to spend the evening with you. Now, at that point, at that point she's feeling really happy and would yes. never in a million years say to me, you are so selfish. All you ever say is, what will make you happy? What will make you happy? Spending an evening with me will make you happy. She would not say that precisely because my delight in her honors her. And everybody knows that. Nobody accuses a husband of selfishness. He says to his wife, nothing will make me happier than to spend the evening with you. That's not a, a put down of his wife. That's not an exaltation of his ego. That is at the horizontal level, a form of worship. And all I'm saying in Christian hedonism is that's what we do vertically when yes. we delight in God and say, there's nothing I'd rather do than spend eternity with you. He is greatly glorified. Okay, so that is a beautiful framing 
of uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, what I believe Paul is getting at, what it means to serve the Lord with gladness, to love him with all of our being. But what did you see happening in the heart of many Christians that led you, Dr. Piper, to write this book, When I Don't Desire God? Because there had to be something you were seeing that caused you concern enough to say, I need to write this. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, So Desiring God was published in 1987, January of 87. And uh, and so when you write a book, you know, people call you up and ask you to do radio shows. <laughs> <laughs> and so I began to speak across the country, making the case that uh, by desiring God, we glorify God. Like the first question of the Westminster Catechism, what is the mm-hmm. chief end of man? And my version of it is the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever, not and enjoying him forever, but by enjoying. So I, I was making that case, and I was succeeding, really. I, I persuaded a lot of people, that's exegetically right. And once you believe that God is only rightly glorified by your being satisfied in him, it has two effects on people. One is liberation— They've never been told that they should make it their aim in life to be as happy as they can. They've not been told by Christians anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And number two, it's devastating. I mean, liberating, devastating, right? It's devastating because everybody knows they don't delight in God the way they should. I mean, the Bible says love God with all your heart. All, yes. like not 99%, yes. all of it. And everybody falls short of that, and therefore my message became both really making some people super heel-clicking happy and, and others devastated. Mm. And, and therefore, the question they would ask me was, what if I don't? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. What if I don't? Yeah. Uh, and, and most people, if they're honest, have to say, what if I don't? And I began then to add a fourth lecture. Like, I'd, I'd have one lecture on God's zeal for the glory of God and one lecture on my zeal for the glory of God and another lecture on my zeal for people in the name of the glory of God. And that was the end of my talks, right? Yeah. And, and so my fourth lecture became, what if I don't? And yeah. I developed about 15 points of, of things you might do if you don't desire God the way you know you should, and yes. and eventually that became a book. I can't remember how much time elapsed, but you know, ten. I can't yeah. remember when the first edition of, of when I don't desire God. But that that's the sequence of thought yes. that caused the book to come into being. Now, friends, with that framing, if you will, we want to create a safe place for you who find yourself in that place of asking that question. What if I don't? God, I know your truth. I want to love you with all of my heart, but what if I don't? If that's you, dial this number 888-644-4144. We'll be right back right after this. Scripture reveals that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. 
But what do we do when life seems to hold more struggles than satisfaction and you realize that you aren't finding your contentment in the Lord? Dr. John Piper's book, When I Don't Desire God, helps us find our way back to an abundant, joy-filled life in Christ. Get your copy when you support Equip this month. Call 888-644-4144 or go to EquipRadio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. My guest today, Dr. John Piper, the book, When I Don't Desire God, How to Fight for Joy. Um, You can give a call if you want to join the conversation, 877-LIVE-675. We're making this book available all month long. I think it is uh, certainly Dr. Piper, uh, dare I say, one of your most practical books, Uh, one that is really, really applicable to our lives. Has that been the feedback you've heard from people? The book has been around for a while and I've stopped getting feedback, (laughs) but (laughs) I am thrilled that you think that's the case. Yes. I mean, that, that was the intention. I mean, the, 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 the very practical, what do I do now that you've persuaded me theologically and exegetically was the aim of the book to try to Put um, put something really practical in people's hands so that they'd have at least steps to take. Although I, I think ultimately, it's a miracle of God that any of us delights in God, but He always uses means. So I'm glad people have found it helpful. You've described joy, uh, the call to joy, as a fight. What do you mean by that? Well, I think when Paul said at the end of his life in Second Timothy, which I think was his last letter, I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, I have uh, kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I think he meant when he said, I have fought the fight of faith, I, meant, I think he meant, I have fought the fight of maintaining my sight of Jesus as my treasure above all things and have fought successfully to savor him and to speak faithfully of him. In other words, this may get us farther along than you want to go right now, but my own understanding of faith, both saving faith at the front end of the Christian life and sanctifying faith as we go along, faith that embraces the promises, I think uh, delight in Christ for who he offers himself to be for us is part of what that faith is. So I I think uh, the fight that Paul meant was do whatever you have to do to keep the beauty, the worth the greatness, the value, the power, all the excellencies of Christ. Do whatever you have to do to keep Christ in front of you so that he remains your supreme treasure. Because that's the battle. The, The world is always arguing the other side, namely, there are better things to treasure, better things to live for, better things to delight in than Christ. And the fight 
is to say, no world, no flesh, no devil, you're lying to me. I will not believe what you say, and I will turn to the places and the ways that God has revealed his superior worth to me. That's the fight. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Darwin is listening in Anderson, Indiana. Hey, Darwin, thank you so much for listening to Equip today. What's your comment? Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying what your uh, what your guest said, and and it's a part. I say when I get through that moment in life, the, he always take me back to the cross. I mean, back to Gethsemane, at a time where you know he was at a time where he could have said, "No, I don't want to go through this," but he he just he he his love for the Father and his love not only for the Father but his love towards us kept him focused and and so when we get to those moments in life there are scriptures and just like your uh guest is saying that we can go back to because suffering is a part of is a part of salvation it's we're gonna we're gonna face not as much as what he faced but we're gonna experience the pain and the suffering that jesus went through Hmm. because it would be unfair if we didn't if everything was so neat that to me that wouldn't be right so and and, and as as he talked about Paul, Paul said, "I want to know what is what, what 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 was like to experience in the suffering that he suffered too." And so we rejoice. Yeah, it ain't gonna feel good, but we still got yeah. to rejoice yes. because you know, as Paul went through, I mean, as Jesus went through, Paul went through, and uh, uh, Joseph went through. If we could read all the Bible the script, they faced this some hard times. Yeah, they did. And and I, I'm so grateful for your call, Darwin. Thank you for calling. Thank you for reminding us of some of the resources uh, that we have available to hey, us. Can I jump in there? Yeah, I want to hear your thoughts, Dr. Piper. Both of those points, namely that uh, Jesus uh, suffered, and at the moment of his greatest suffering, did not turn away from the suffering, but embraced it for us. That and the fact that we will suffer with him, both of those are addressed amazingly in a Christian hedonist way in Hebrews 12, where it says Christ endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Now, I take that to mean that in Gethsemane, like our brother was was saying, at the point of when he's sweating blood, he tasted right now in the presence because chapter 11 verse 1 says faith is the substance of things hoped for and he was hoping for joy on the other side of the cross and he could taste it right now so there was a present experience of the future joy and that hope and joy sustained it says for that he endured the cross so the greatest act of love that's ever been performed the greatest act of suffering that's ever been endured for other people was carried by the desire for joy in the presence of God with the redeemed people. And then he follows that up and says, and you haven't yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, but the Father's going to discipline you the same way. So don't resist the disciplines of God. And, and a piece of Christian hedonism that I haven't mentioned yet, which the brother draws out so essentially is... When I say that God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him, I very often add the statement, especially in times of suffering, Mm. because 
The world can rejoice in good times. It doesn't take really any great faith or any great um, sight of God to be happy when everything is going rosy in your life. But it's the time when things are collapsing on all hands. There, if Christ remains the treasure and the all-satisfying fountain of joy, that makes God look amazing. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, and especially in times of suffering. Friends, I hope you see why I think this book is so important, one of the most important books that Dr. Piper has written. And certainly, I think it is uh, not only timeless, but timely for the moment that many are facing. When I don't desire God, here's how you can get a copy into your hands. By supporting the the program with a gift of any amount, you can call the number 888-644-4144. You can do that now, 888-644-4144. Or if it's easier, go to our website, (coughs) equipradio.org. I just want to say this, that maybe this resource that comes with um, not only the call to um, set our affections on Jesus, to... Um, uh, to have delight in him, to, to treasure God as a gift, the, the cross as the treasure it is, uh, but also the tools that are needed when we don't desire God. All of that is, is in this, <clears throat> which I think are great for you. But I also want to say that this book is such a blessing for someone you love, someone you know, that has embraced the truth of the gospel, but maybe struggling in this season with experiencing delight in God. We can minister to them. We can become preachers to ourselves of the good news of the grace of God, but also to others as we resource them. Dial that number, 888-644-4144. When we come back, when I ask Dr. Piper, what about the work of the Spirit in all of this? Don't go anywhere. When we desire God above all things, sin falls away and we become passionate and fruitful in our Christian life. What can we do when we find ourselves without this joy in the Lord? This is a common struggle, which is why I chose John Piper's book, When I Don't Desire God, as our impact gift for this month. It's yours when you give a gift of any size to equip. Simply call 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org and find your way back to faith-sustaining, everlasting joy. You're listening to a pre-recorded encore presentation of Equipped with Chris Brooks. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. So grateful for your partnership in the gospel uh, today and uh, throughout this month. Our feature is Dr. John Piper's book, When I Don't Desire God, How to Fight for Joy. I think it's practical, and I pray that you will benefit from it as much as as I and many others have. Phone number is uh, 888-644-4144. Going to ask your questions as well of Dr. Piper. Dr. Piper, Sheila called from Florida to ask this question How do I or how do you hear from God or experience his presence when he feels so far away? 
Well, I like the distinction between um, hearing from God and experiencing God when he's near, that is, he's felt as near, and when he's felt as far, because I think both of those are Christian realities. Um, So her question relates to, okay, I've known the nearness and sweetness of his fellowship, uh, and I have felt close to him, and now I'm in a season where I don't. And what we have to remind ourselves of is that when the Bible says and God says in the Bible that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable, that it doesn't cease to be inspired and doesn't cease to be profitable and doesn't cease to be God's Word when He feels far away. Yes. So my answer, short, is without fail— I mean, this is just—I'm I'm 76 years old. I've done this for, for 60 years. I read my Bible every day, near or far, as far as my emotions go. Mm. I want my emotions to be red hot for God all the time. They're not. So some mornings it is glory, and some mornings it's not. That doesn't stop me from hearing God. I mean, God is as real in speaking to me when I read his word emotionally paralyzed as he is when I read his word alive to him. So that's the basic answer and the basic reality. I mean, there's more to say. I mean, God himself, by the Spirit, is near to God's children, whether they feel he's near or not. I believe there is a degree of manifest nearness. That's why Paul prays, believe it or not, for Christians in Ephesians 3, 18, that God would dwell in their hearts by faith. What in the world does Paul mean when he says, to Christians, I pray that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith? Wouldn't we all just rise up and say, what do you mean? I'm a Christian. He lives in me. And I think Paul would say, yes, yes, that's true. He is in you. Those who are born of God have the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ, in them. But he's praying that there would be a manifest habitation, right? Come in and sup with me and eat with me. So he's real. That's the second thing. So the first thing is God's Word remains objectively God's Word, and you can hear from God whether you feel like it or not. And two, he's always there. He's close. And when he sees fit, he will ordain that your the sweetness of his felt presence return. So don't stop hearing from God just because you feel distant from him. The Bible is the word of God. I want to read Galatians 5.22, Dr. Piper, Galatians 5.22. And we're going to go back to the phone lines in a moment. So you can call 877-LIVE-675. Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is, and then it goes on to say joy, what 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 should we understand about what Paul is communicating 
about how we experience joy, the joy of the Lord, joy in Jesus from that statement. The depth of that statement will not be grasped unless we go back to the point where we became Christians. And not everybody knows when they became a Christian because it may have happened when they were six and they can't remember it, and it might have been absolutely real. So I'm not saying you have to remember this. I'm just saying there was a point because the Bible says you must be born again. And to be born again, according to Jesus in John 3, is to be born again by the Spirit. The Spirit blows where he wills, You don't know where it comes from, where it goes. Such are all those who are born of the Spirit. So our lives began by the work of the Spirit causing the dead to be made alive. Ephesians 2, 4. Out of the great mercy with which he loved us, God made us alive. That's the new birth. Now here's what happens in relation to joy when that happened. According to, what, 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 14, I think, or maybe one twenty-two, the dead person, the person of the flesh, the merely natural person, looked at the cross of Christ and they saw foolishness. They saw stumbling block. Today, people see myth. They see legend, fable, boredom. That's the fallen, dead, blind human heart. And then God, by the Spirit, quickens that person. And the evidence that they're alive is that they see Christ crucified as power, wisdom, beauty. It's called glory. It says says in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that um, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what happens when we're born by the Spirit is that we see glory. That is, Christ crucified and risen and saving and divine is beautiful to us, desirable to us, necessary to us, which is the root of all our joy. Christ is the root of all of our joy. So what the Holy Spirit did at the beginning was make Christ look like he is. And what he does day by day for us as the one who bears the fruit of joy from Galatians 5.22 is bring to our minds sight of the beauty, the excellence, the greatness, the worth, the glory of Christ— He's like a diamond that has an infinite number of facets. And day by day, he grants the human heart to see various facets of that glory. And that is where spiritual joy comes from. I I think it's a mistake to take Galatians 5.22, that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy, and say, uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is that I enjoy uh, watching the Vikings play football. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that joy. But if it's not rooted in Christ, it's not spiritual joy. It's not Holy Spirit joy. Holy Spirit joy is 
owing to seeing Christ, savoring Christ for who he really is. So good. So good. So this isn't a generalized joy. This is a joy in God, not not a generalized joy. And and, and I love that. Right. I want, I want to go to the phone and, lines if I could. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to go to Doug. Doug has been listening in Lakeland, Florida. Doug, thank you so much for listening. Um, what's your question for Dr. Piper? Um. I guess I'm struggling with joy. I lost my wife a month and a half ago. She went to be with the Lord. Uh, she died of cancer. Seven-month battle. Yeah. And I guess it's hard for me to rejoice yeah. in the Lord, even though I depend on the Lord each and every day. I guess uh, I was just wanting yeah. uh, words of wisdom to me as I battle through this time of grief. Doug, thank you for calling, Doug. Dr. Piper, uh, your response to Doug? I love this question. Love his situation. I mean, heartbreaking. And um, the Bible is just so incredibly realistic when it comes to relating joy to sorrow, joy to grief. For example, it's manifestly clear to everybody when they read Romans 12, and it says, Rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. That that happens for the mature, experienced person all the time, simultaneously. <laughs> right? I mean, here I am, listening to this man, brother from Lakeland, and he is grieving and the Bible says, Piper, grieve with him. That's my calling, grieve with him. And yet I know that downstairs I have a wife who loves me. Yeah. And I'm so glad she loves me. I'm so happy that she loves me. So now what do I do? <laughs> and th here's, the, here's the biblical answer to that difficult, e experiential, emotional question. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, there's this amazing phrase that says, we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Mm -hmm. Now that is a Holy Spirit miracle that the world knows little or anything of. What that says is, um, the scripture that says, Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes with the morning is true. And that's true for this brother. It's been seven months, but I can promise him as he cleaves to Jesus by his fingernails, there will come a season on the other side where all the sorrows will be so sweet, all the memories so sweet that sweetness will outweigh grief. But that's not what 2 Corinthians 6.10 says. 2 Corinthians 6.10 says they are not just sequential. Mm -hmm. After the grieving comes the joy. It says they are simultaneous. So I would ask the brother, really, friend, looking into your heart right now, as you say, I'm depending on him. That's a beautiful statement. I'm rejoicing at that. Don't you mean 
really, don't you mean that when I turn away from all the difficulties that I face in her absence, all the sorrows that I face, all that I miss, when I turn to Christ, I turn to Christ as a treasured helper, a treasured friend, a treasured comforter. You're not indifferent towards Jesus when you turn to him. You're not turning to him and saying, well, Jesus, I depend on you, but I think you're not really a very worthy God. You're not really a beautiful God. You're not really a very satisfying God. You don't mean that. You don't. It's just very hard for you to articulate, I think, the fact that the seeds, let's just put it that way, the seeds of joy are all over your dependence, all over your trust. Father, we thank you for Doug. Thank you for your love for him. Thank you for the work of the Spirit in his life that sustains him even through sorrow. Lord, may he experience the promise of 2 Corinthians 6 and 10, to be sorrowful, but yet rejoicing. Always, we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Doug, for your call. Listen, many of you, dial now, 888-644-4144. We'll be right back. We all want to live joy-filled lives, filled with satisfaction in God. But that life is not automatic, even for seasoned saints. So what do you do when you're weary in the battle and you want to give up? John Piper's book, When I Don't Desire God, will energize you as you fight for joy and encourage others along the way. Ask for your copy when you support Equip this month. Call 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. Thank you to Selah, to Marquise, to Sherry, to Daniel, to Cheval, to Vanzi, Lori, Christina. All of you have called to say, I want to desire God to move from duty to delight, to move uh, from deeds to desire, to move from tasks to treasure. And, uh, and, and I'm so grateful to hear that. And we're grateful I know Dr. Piper is grateful to be a help, to be a help to those believers who are, who are seizing and, and, and desiring uh, to have radical heart change uh, and to experience that radical heart change that is demanded in Scripture. Uh, the phone number to get your copy of When I Don't Desire God, How to Fight for Joy is 888-644-4144. I'll give it again, 888 644 4144. And let me remind you, such a blessing to get as a resource for someone you love who you know could benefit from this book. Dr. Piper, we have just a few moments, but I want to ask two questions if I could in the few moments we have left. First, am I a hypocrite if I obey God without delight? You might be, but you don't have to be. And here's the difference. A person who says, uh, okay, they expect me to tithe at my church. Uh, let's just take that one, for example. I'm going to give to my church. I don't want to. I don't want to give. I'm not a cheerful giver. I know the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. I don't feel any cheer. But uh, in order to look good and in order to present 
<coughs> a good front to the people <coughs> I will, I will uh, tithe. That's hypocrisy. Mm. But what if the offering plate is coming down the row and you, you want to buy an, a new iPad and not give your tithe? What do, you, what do you do in order for it not to be hypocrisy? And my answer is, number one, you admit that you're failing in not desiring to be a giver, in not enjoying being generous. You just admit it. I'm, I'm, I'm sinning. Secondly, <clears throat> you cry out to God, God, please restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me the joy of giving like pleases you. Yes. And then... Thirdly, as the plate comes, <coughs> excuse me, as the plate comes, you give. But you give with the anticipation that in the very giving, God will restore to you the joy. That's very different than hypocrisy. Yes. So yes. I think a person who says, just do it, feelings don't matter, I think that's a mistake. Feelings do matter. God said he loves a cheerful giver. And therefore, there are steps you can take to be a real, authentic, penitent person who's lacking the desire that you ought to have, and yet you're moving toward it in a biblical way. All right, last question, and I only have 60 seconds for this, which is not fair to you. But what about <laughs> those? What about those who are experiencing a dark night of the soul for an extended season? 60 seconds. Um, maybe the Bible should have the last say. Uh, I mean, no maybe about it. <laughs> yes. Here's Psalm 139. Um, where shall I go from your spirit? We're all familiar with this beautiful psalm. And, and we, we're familiar with, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand guides me. But we're not as familiar with the next verse. The next verse says, if I say, I say, this is, this is the words of a despairing person. If I say, surely darkness will cover me and the light about me will be night. And then it adds, even the darkness is not dark to you, O God. The night is as bright as the day. So I would say to the person, realize the Bible knows your situation. The Bible, Psalm 139, verse 12 gives your your example so go to him confess the darkness believe that in the darkness he's as bright as the day and he's going to bring you out in due time friends as dr piper has noted and said so many times god is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him especially in times of suffering may your greatest and highest joy be jesus until we're together again next time, as always, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Hey there, friends, Chris Brooks here. On the next Equip, I want to introduce you to my friend Colleen Child. She's a wife, a mother, a writer, and a terminally ill cancer patient who has learned to face the darkest of days with hope in Jesus. When I heard Colleen's story, I knew I had to share it with you. So I don't want you to miss this wonderful conversation on the next edition of Equip. Listen live weekdays at 1 Eastern, noon Central on the Moody Radio app or equipradio.org.